0: You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, joined today, as often, by Geek Matt, how are you? I am doing well, especially here in the Crystal Palace of the Jacob K. Javits Center in New York.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know why it's called the Crystal Palace. It's kind of just part of the entrance way. But maybe it's harkening back to the glory days of Crystal Palace Football Club in
0: England. <laughs> I don't know. It may be, but I think that point would be lost on a lot of New Yorkers. I, unfortunately, I agree. I think most people would not get that. <laughs> but here we are, shattering through the glass ceiling of retail. Yes, here. let's
1: not let's not go to back to some bad jokes about uh, Hillary <laughs> Clinton's party here. But anyways, we digress. Uh, NRF
0: 2018, retail's big show as part of the podcast studio. It's great to be here. And it's also just a lot of fun to see what this audience is buzzing about, see what all these vendors are doing in the space, see yep. how much is similar and different to Retail the way it's always been, and retail the way we think it's going,
1: and the retail the way some in the press want you to believe it might be going,
0: which right. is the apocalyptic, right? I'm looking around the room, and I don't exactly see you know volcanoes and eruptions <laughs> and people that are. I like have just seen some locusts getting I raptured, thought, but anyway, I mean, you know, we're, raptured in this world. Yeah. Yeah. we're in New York. Yeah, we're in New York, but we'll just talk about where this place is, where we're going here. I, I, you know, I feel a lot of excitement. I do too, man. I think it's something
1: we get every year. We sort of see a lot of interest here, a lot of buzz. I think there is always, the last few years, been that sort of, uh, I don't want to say cloud or shadow, but there's always been the undertone of, is it the retail apocalypse? You know, We read so much about it, especially last year in the common press. And I know there's been some studies by some research firms like IHL and others have disproven that. I think IHL came out, with some numbers recently that actually showed, at least for the first half of 2017, the net change in physical stores was actually positive, which means there are more stores open than stores closed in the United States. So that's far from being sort of an apocalyptic time for right. retailers. It's easy
0: to focus on the bad news, right? In, right. in the media world, it if it bleeds, it leaves. Exactly. So <laughs> the study that I always see is like the Fung Capital number, which cited more than 6,700 stores closing, and then of course we did have some bankruptcies and just a uh, complete exit of maybe even physical retailer right. for, for some yeah, pretty big uh, names. And I think
1: we would argue this, that you look at some of those names, and not to call them out, but those names were brands that were struggling Regardless of e-commerce, ambient commerce, mobile commerce, v-commerce, whatever you want to call the, the new paradigm shifts, there are brands that are already struggling. Just like the business cycle in any industry, companies come and go. It's just the reality of it. I think the problem was is that some of these big names were getting hit hard at this moment. And like you said, people just jumped all over it and really started to wax on about the doom and gloom. But I think what's interesting and something, you know, we mentioned some studies, but I think what's interesting is for us to rethink the whole notion of this constant evolution of retail, and I'm gonna push it to the other side, which is the constant evolution within retail of the physical store. Right? We're sitting here in New York and I think it's one of those great experiences to have is you walk around New York City and the amount of stores that are there, restaurants, right, it doesn't seem to have gone away. Last night I went down to Columbus Circle to the whole food market, I walked around. Beautiful mall there. I hate to admit it, I actually went to a Thomas Pink and bought something, which I wasn't supposed to. Know yourself. I know. I know. I I saw it, and I said, Gee, don't go in there. Don't do it. (laughs) Nothing good comes out of it. Uh And I walked in, and of course, sort of side note, the Oxblood Sport coat that I've been yearning for (laughs) was on the sale rack. Only one left, and it was my size. So what could I do? Kismet, yeah.
0: I had to do it,
1: right? But the reason I bring it up is you know, I walk around, and yes, that kind of mall has changed. There's a Whole Foods in the basement, right? I went down to Whole Foods. It was packed. It was banged out. There were, You couldn't even walk down the aisles. There's people getting food, eating it there, people buying groceries, things like that, on a Saturday night. There's also, I believe there was a, a theater in there for, I think, some jazz, right? There's people lined up queuing up for that. So yes, you're seeing the shift. It's no longer a mall that just is stores, right? There's stores, there's services, there's obviously there's a, there's a bank in there, there's grocery. So you're seeing this evolution of the store. I was in Europe last week, and as some of our listeners might know, the big sales season starts in Europe, Paris and London and such. So on Friday, I decided to go and, and just go look at some of these stores. and. My aunt made fun of me, and my dad said, "Oh, you should go spend money." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I would like see what's You're there." Doing market research. I'm doing market research, so I went in, and what was fascinating is I went to to Galerie Lafayette and Printemps. I'll tell you what. There's no air quotes here. Retail apocalypse going on in those stores. I mean, it was, it was a Friday afternoon, like at two o'clock, so where most people were still working, but the amount of tourists and people that are in those those stores was like I've never seen before in the sense, it was still a tremendous amount of volume. And they weren't just there looking, they were buying, they were purchasing stuff. And it, it started to you know, continue our thought, which I know you and I have talked about this for a while now, sort of well, what does the future of the store look like, right? It's obviously evolving, like that Columbus Circle example is one. It's evolving, it's not just, you know, do you have malls that are just gonna be with anchor tenants, traditional style and a bunch? No, I think you're gonna have malls with different services grocery right, shopping. We're clothing.
0: readjusting to this new era that's not what malls were in the 70s. Yeah, it's not what malls
1: were in the 70s. I think the other thing that's interesting sort of parlayed with that, it was, I was talking about, there's some study just came out by Bain that has some talking points for retail for 2018. And, and the ones that stuck out to me were some statistics that they've come up with through their research is one is, you know, what they found is that for Apple, for an Apple store today to be profitable it needs to have upwards of 2 million plus people that are in the addressable market. So people that can have access to that store. That's what makes an Apple store today profitable. What they believe is that through automation, the same Apple store can be profitable if there's an addressable market of 200,000 people. So when you think about that, you go from having to be in an urban setting or somewhere where you can get 2 million people within X mile radius to one that's now only 200,000 people. Right? What does that do for the possibilities of new stores? What does that do for the possibilities or the opportunity to continue having a physical presence, but now being able to say, "Hey, I'm not just going to have to have these massive Apple stores."
0: And Apple's a good one because they reinvented the store ten years ago ago, with the first one, right? And and that model has influenced or even been flat out copied by a lot of people out there or attempts to sell the way Apple sells, right? right? There was a big department store that said, look, we're going to take the Apple model. We're going to get rid of discounts and we're going to get rid of coupons and just go straight to this model where the price you see is the price that it is and we're going to try and service you with a little bit of a higher end touch and it failed because that was not the the right place for it, but it was an effort. And so you're saying in a way that maybe Apple could be someone that leads this future again where the footprint of the store is changing, the purpose of the store is changing, the market of the store is changing, and all of a sudden you are expanding out the stores. You're changing your, probably the back end of it, supply chain, the staffing, the type of customer served. Yep. But labor, the labor that's in the store, right? How do they service that customer? Absolutely. So that's an exciting opportunity if you're a retailer like that, because now all of a sudden you're unlocking this new physical presence in different places in a slightly different way than you may have in the past yep. or that you're thinking about. it. But it does take a mindset shift to get there. That's what it sounds like.
1: Not only a mindset shift, but I also think an increased reliance upon you know, sort of the, I, I sigh, I apologize, but sort of that the traditional picture of the iceberg, right? Uh-huh. So the top part of the iceberg is all the cool <laughs> stuff you see, but all the heavy work comes below the waterline. Right, we, yeah, I mean, I've we know, seen it in a couple of PowerPoints. Uh, we've seen a couple of PowerPoints <laughs> and a couple of those posters you put in your office. Right, business books. Business books, and, but using that analogy, overused, but still, I think what this shows, or what this, what this sets up for is a notion of our supply chains, our network, become even more crucial to the success of the things like our store. Because now if I'm taking Apple and I'm saying to myself, wow, I can start opening different formatted stores in different places because I can be just as profitable. I might not have the same top line at the store, but my margins are the same. But guess what, folks? Now I need to make sure that I'm flexible enough in my network to be able to say, okay, great, I'm going to open stores in smaller areas, smaller footprints guess what, I still need to have the inventory levels necessary to fulfill orders, right? Yes, there's also a shift in Apple stores about more around the service and the experience side. But at the end of the day, if I go to Apple and I want to buy my new iPhone X at 256 gig and blah, 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 I can have a great experience of store. It could be a store in my small little town somewhere in the middle of the United States. But guess what, if I don't get that iPhone X within a reasonable time, all that experience that I've gained Gets flushed down the drain.
0: I see you're still waiting to get the iPhone I'm still waiting X. to get the
1: iPhone. I'm, I'm holding, well, I think now that I bought that Oxblood sport coat, I think I have to <laughs> put, put the wait. iPhone X on hold. But the reality is, I think it's, it's creating a great opportunity for retailers to rethink their store strategy. I think it's creating an opportunity for retailers to continue to have some kind of physical store, online presence, mobile commerce, what have you. But it's just... Retailers need to think about this from the standpoint of, wow, this is a really good opportunity. How's my network? How's my supply chain? How is it going to support what is at the end going to
0: be something very new and different? Well, we've already heard a couple of perspectives on that, right? Uh, the future stores are going to be so much less dependent on inventory, but it doesn't mean that you're not selling. So that Correct. inventory, you have to know where it is and how to get it to someone very efficiently.
1: Yeah, and I think it's to your point exactly. It's the store itself is, is going to shift where it's not necessarily where I go to get my inventory. It's where I go to make my decision to get that inventory. Right. I still want the inventory. I still want it when I want. And I think this puts even more of a challenge because now it's also, and you and I have talked about this. It's not necessarily well, I want my iPhone X in two hours. It's maybe, no, I want my iPhone X. I ordered it here in New York. I'm going to Atlanta in two days. I want you to ship it to that address in Atlanta and I'm only going to be there for 48 hours so it has to be there in that 48 hour window. Or I just ordered it but I'm going on vacation for a week so hold off on delivering it to me. Well, you know, and try to get your
0: hitting becomes much more dynamic, because it's much more personalized.
1: So I think the personalization is not only in the product but how we fulfill it, right? Because I think yes, our good friends at Amazon have air quotes here trained us to want product in 2 hours. But getting product in 2 hours sometimes isn't convenient. Right, it's not it is. It's not always the best option. I was talking to my girlfriend the other day about this. She ordered a rug, and you know, one of the big three PLs, who I shall not mention, gave you know the usual. It will be here today, but what does today mean?
0: Today starts at eight a.m. Uh, it's like the cable guy and all over again. the cable again. guy, right? Oh man,
1: it's like eight a.m. to when does the day? Stop? So I'm just
0: supposed to wait at my house uh, between uh, eight and four. Yeah, and
1: eight and four, and and, I, and you always know it comes at four, right? But she was going to go see her parents. But she couldn't leave. Why? Because she was handcuffed right. to waiting for the you product You shouldn't have to, come. to plan
0: your day as a consumer around your supply chain, right? And we're still doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think as more and more fulfillment becomes not necessarily in the store, we're going to need much more flexibility in terms of that delivery. So whether, again, it's a locker-based system, if it's delivering it to my home, if it's delaying it, if it's I choose when I get delivered to, if it's pickup in store, all those things that we're starting to see more of you have that network has to be able to support that because I think it's a combination of stores being able to be smaller in more places because they're still profitable. I think in the combination, again, we haven't talked about, we talk about all the time, the consumer driving this behavior, all of a sudden that fulfillment in the network that supports it has to be
0: the same. Absolutely. So, okay, we've been, kind of leading to this store that's inventory-less, <laughs> yes. that's an experience built, that's-
1: Gives you a great cappuccino, and you right. get- Right, it's tailored get a, to you, the yes. individual,
0: and it's really just about introducing you to the product in a very- Intimate, Curated way, and yes. of course, personalized. But let's not get too far in the future. Let's just talk about the store in 2020, 2022, yeah. right? Let's look at four or five years from now. Are we gonna be there yet, or are we still gonna be kind of spinning our tires?
1: I think we'll be there at some level. I think we're still, you know, the reality is we're still going to have big Walmart superstores and Target super centers and all these big store formats. I think what we're going to see less of is sort of traditional 1970s malls. I think we're going to have malls, like I said, the Columbus Circle example being one of them, where it's going to be a, a combination of services, of inventory, of things of that nature all roll into one. I think we're going to see much more in terms of temporary pop-up type stores. So I think we'll see a lot more. Ch- so I think we'll, we'll see th- a reemergence of these. Focused. Very tailored. Stores that really, again, cliched, but do truly offer an experience, right? Why Become a destination. A destination. Well, I think that someone made a great analogy the other day. It's like before I went to the store because I had to. Mm-hmm. Now I go to the store because I want to.
0: And you really have to want to with some of the
1: stores and out you there. And you really, absolutely. <laughs> so make me want to go to the store, right? That is going to become the driving factor for all this. So I think in, in 20, you know, in, in 10 years, we're going to see a lot more of that. I think we're starting to see it today. You know, even like stores like CVS, right? They have a minute clinic. That's part of the experience, right? I go to the CVS because I have a sore throat and I want someone to tell me if I have sure, strep it'll throat be your health insurance
0: provider. Provided now too. Right? So that's, but that's, that's full circle. It's
1: a full circle. It's part of the experience. And oh yes, by the way, I also want to pick up the Robitazin and some tissues and right. you know some jerky for my dog. And the right? brand
0: becomes much more mission-based, right? All of a sudden, CVS is about customer health, health wellness, it's about lifestyle yes. wellness, right? And right. they're it's very focused on all the aspects of it yeah. and surrounding the customer. So you only have to work within that ecosystem, right? And I think potential that's, there is That's incredible. where
1: I think that's where where we'll see stuff in, in five, ten years. I think we're starting to see the evolution of it. I think it is exciting. From us, I think it's you know we talk about the golden age of retail. I think it's the golden age of the consumer. And the consumer is going to have a lot of things catered to him or her. I think the consumer is going to have a lot of options they don't have today. I think the consumer is going to be much more excited, shall I say, about what she has in terms of offerings. and not just inventory, but experiences, where to shop, how to shop, how to get things fulfilled, how to get things returned, how to put things back in the supply chain. But again, sort of broken record. At the end of the day, what I think this does is places even more emphasis on the importance of that part under the waterline, that big part of the, mm-hmm. the, the iceberg, right. which is your supply chain, which is your network, which is about the data coming in, which is about using science to figure out what's being said and what's being done, artificial intelligence, machine learning. All those things become even more vital to being able to find success.
0: All right, folks. Thanks for listening. I think that our podcast studio time is nearing its oh, end. Oh, what?
1: I thought we were here all day.
0: Well, we'll be back. I I got much more material. I haven't even we could my, go for hours. I, I haven't even right. given you my best jokes yet. I know. Well, hold on to those for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait.
1: I I can tell <laughs> that
0: you're uh, you're eagerly anticipating uh-huh, those. That's indeed. Thanks for listening to Supply Chain Radio live from NRF 2018. Gee, as always, it's been a pleasure.
1: Matt, it's been a pleasure, and look forward to the next one.
0: All right, and for all of those you in listener land, we appreciate you. Send us your news tips, your information, your story ideas, or your critique to scr.podcast at info.com. And of course, be sure to find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast network. Thanks for listening.